Welcome again, Philip, to another discussion. So we have been discussing really the importance of why the church feasts, feasts that seem to be unnecessarily celebrated. In other words, we will see the fullness of everything in one celebration, one sanctified celebration, one form of worship, glorification, unified with heaven and earth. And then this is for us, the sacrament of the holy liturgy. So we have said that really the, the church feasts celebrations on an annual basis because children are born, children are baptized, and for this reason the message cannot be lost and as it's passed from generation to generation because there are people that cannot read books, there are people that can maybe not um, understand certain languages, they might even be people that can't see. So the liturgy itself seems to be repeated, the, the, light, the service life of the church is an annual repeat, but it seems that it is necessary because as we have said, this truth is now 2,000 years old and, and older. And for that reason, we keep it, the church maintains it as pure as it can so that we receive it and pass it on in the same way. So the feast that we have covered was the birth of Christ, we said the baptism of Christ, and we said then the entrance of Christ into the temple. And we said that for this, for us, was the identity of our existence and our purpose. We identify as Christ-like creations, God created everything, but He created us equal to Himself in His image and gave us a body, a body that God has in His Son Christ. And for that reason, we were above all creation. This was to the envy of the angel, the archangel who fell, we said, like lightning to earth and then wants as many people to fall with Him. Out of default, unfortunately, he took angels with him and maybe God allowed the procreation and the evolution of man so that we can constantly support those who are fallen to salvation. So the message of the church is very simple. But because we are distracted by many things, we sometimes do not hear what the church is saying. Maybe in the life of a human being, if we heard one word only from the liturgy and focused on that word, maybe our existence and we know our age to be actually um, justified. We have to be this old because I'm only learning one word every service. And for this reason, I will need so many years to get through the service. If this was true and we focused in this way, we will probably all be participants of this beautiful, rich service called the Holy Liturgy. So we saw that our, our identity was from the birth of Christ, and then we saw that our baptism gave us then our, our purpose, what are we, what our expectation, um, and then we saw from the entrance into the temple that we have something to offer. There is a sacrifice. And all this 
was in prophecy. All this has been fulfilled. In other words, we know this to be true. All we need to do, obviously, is believe. And then the faith keeps that belief alive. Faith without belief is, can lead us actually the opposite way. And this can be the illusions that we get from temptation. Um, so we have seen that really that these feasts are necessary for us, for us to truly live um, life here so that we can receive life eternally. We, the world was for us and we are not for the world. Sabbath was made for us and not man for Sabbath. So we can see that we have this um, opportunity and responsibility to actually have a real relationship um, with God himself and a relationship of love. So I think Philip today um, is going to try to explain to us how all this fits in, the few things that we have said over the past few weeks in the liturgy itself. Where does these things feast? fit in, Christmas maybe, the baptism, maybe even the entrance into the temple of Christ by his parents. Well, like we mentioned previously, scripture and the church go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. If you go to a church which doesn't contain scripture, it is not church, but if you use scripture outside of the church, scripture ceases to become what it fully could be. And in scripture, we hear about the life of Christ and the prophecies and things leading up to Christ's birth and even onwards into the future as well. But we can see that in the divine liturgy, all of these things become one and complete everything is revealed at the divine liturgy every single sunday and every single time a liturgy is celebrated saint john of kronstadt he says the divine liturgy is a truly heavenly service upon earth during which god himself in a particular immediate and most close manner is present and dwells with men being himself god the invisible celebrant of the service. There is nothing upon earth holier, higher, grander, more solemn, more life-giving than the liturgy. And we can see that, for example, if we take the feast of the Theophany, Saint Sophroni of Essex has something very specific to say about this feast. He says, the divine liturgy is a way we know God and the way where God becomes known to us. Every divine liturgy is a theophany. Okay, so like the baptism, when we look to the baptism of Christ and how it was called a theophany, Saint Sophroni says every divine liturgy is a theophany. He says every member of the church is an icon of the kingdom of God. After the divine liturgy, we must continue to iconify the kingdom of God, keeping his commandments. The glory of Christ is for him to bear his fruit in every member, so us. So we can see that each 
moment of Christ's life and the entirety of scripture really comes alive during the divine liturgy. No, you can carry on because yeah. I'm just going to finish on something that okay. I think. So yeah, you can carry on with so, what you've said. Divine liturgy is an experience and is something that we attend to every, t every given opportunity, really. And for St. Basil, the fact that it is experience is very important. He says, as it is impossible to verbally describe the sweetness of honey to one who has never tasted honey, so the goodness of God cannot be clearly communicated by the way of just teaching. For example, teaching or learning theology just in and of itself, anyone can do that really. And it just, you know, requires a bit of effort and reading. But to truly know God goes way beyond that. He says that it requires experience and that experience begins with the attending of the Holy Liturgy. This again is because the life of Christ is completely comes alive in the liturgy. So it's one thing to read about the life of Christ in Scripture, but it's another thing to experience it in the liturgy and even to commune with God. So to become almost, you know, you become swallowed by God in the divine liturgy, and especially at the moment of taking communion. And we can see that from Father Thomas Frisby, who's a, a priest in America. And he says, if you like the Bible, you love the Orthodox liturgy. If the scriptures are a fountain of water, liturgy is like putting your mouth to a fire hose. So it's completely, um, well, scripture is everywhere in liturgy. There is nothing in the liturgy that is not from scripture. Every word, every moment, every action is based in Scripture itself. And Father Andrew Stephen Damick, he says, it is in this worship that we not only learn the truth, but actually participate in the truth. In the worship, the wisdom of the ages is packed in tightly. In this worship, the whole of the church's theology is not only taught, but actually experienced. In the worship, God reaches out to touch us and we receive that touch and are healed. So in other words, you know, studying theology is, you know, I remember when I was studying at university, there were many atheists studying with me who were probably knew more than me. I mean, they were very smart, very academic. They knew exactly what was going on in terms of the academics. However, in terms of actually participating in this truth, that's a completely different thing. And that's what Father Andrew is saying here. He's saying to know the truth is to experience it, it's not to learn it. You know, you can't experience God with just the mind. It requires the whole participating being. So, we hear things that make us exciting might even give us goosebumps. And even in the moment that we hear it, we think, actually, there is something there. You will see that 
This encouragement maybe we might call hope. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote hope, a piece, just a small paragraph what he wrote about hope. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not as the same of modern people and the way they think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. So we're not meant to be wishy-washy like those who have no hope. This is what we say at the apostolic reading at the funeral. So there is an expectation of hope to get us through. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is either. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most of the present, who did most for this present world, were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversations of the Roman Empire, the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle East ages, the English evangelists who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the world and that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you will get neither earth or heaven. So C.S. Lewis was kind of giving us an idea really of where to keep our mind. As St. Silouan said, the great example for prayer, you have to remind yourself of death, the world to come, so that you can actually then appreciate and be functional in this world. The function for us who are baptized and have taken the responsibility to adopt and become and increase the talent of being born a Christian, because every human being is a Christian, have we taken on then the responsibility by baptism, then we have another greater responsibility, and that is to attend the services, the Holy Liturgy, and to receive Holy Communion. So I have something here written by Archbishop Lazar Paolo. How often should Orthodox Christians receive Holy Communion? If we search the canons which the Holy Spirit has given us through the Holy Church and the teachings of the Holy and God-bearing Fathers, then we will find that, one, that with one accord, as if a single voice, they direct us to partake of the Holy Mystery, not merely frequently, but constantly. The practice of infrequent communion, whatever its precise origin, became concrete in some of the local churches, a result of Latin influence, the persecution and the negative attitude of the Roman Catholics. Primarily, of course, through the occupation of Western Russia and Ukraine, Prior to this century, Latins were deprived of frequent communion and were taught to commune only four times a year. Many of the logistic arguments of the Latins have been employed by some of our own people 
in trying to maintain the non-orthodox practice of infrequent communion. No one, however, has been able to justify it by orthodox Christian means. Oh, the power of custom and prejudice, laments St. John of Chrysostom. The canon of God's Church answer our question in this manner. The holy apostles have decreed this. All those faithful who enter and listen to scripture but do not remain for prayer and partake the holy mysteries must be excommunicated. According to the explanation of the canon in the Radha, the means that all who are not penitents and who thus remain for prayers not departing when the proclamation depart is heard must without fail receive holy communion this bit means those who are baptized with without fail must receive holy communion the doors the doors depart for the catechumens is for those who were not baptized and did not stay for the prayer or holy and god-bearing fathers gathered in the holy spirit at Antioch and directed us and those persons who enter the church and listen to the sacred scriptures but shun the participation in the Eucharist would agree that these people be outcast from the church until they confess and exhibit the fruits of repentance the ex explication of the canon explains that this refers precisely to people who excuse themselves from abstaining from Holy Communion on account of humility or reverence. Such humility would be fried since it is contrary to the obedience and such reverence would be to force since the greatest act of reverence is to the Eucharist and partaking of it. Again, our holy and God-bearing Father Timothy of Alexandria expresses the universal conscience of the Holy Church when he is asked, If anyone who is a believer be possessed of a demon, ought he to partake of the holy mysteries or not? And replies, If he does not reputate the mystery, nor otherwise in any blaspheme, let him commune, but not every day in the week, for it is sufficient for him on the Lord's Day only. The Lord's Day is Sunday. If other, in other words, even a person who is demon-possessed can, can partake of the holy mysteries every Sunday. While it is quite clear the rest of the faithful are to partake every day where possible. St. John Chrysostom seems to synthesize and thoughts of the Fathers and give expression to their con the concept of the Church conscious on partaking of holy mysteries. In his homily, the th his third homily on Ephesians, here he instructs both those who would take communion to lightly and without preparation and those who fail to take communion at each divine liturgy. I observe, how many, I observe how many partake of Christ's body lightly and just as it happens, and rather from custom and from than from consideration and understanding. 
The saints make this charge not against those who commune regularly, but against those who commune only on a few feast days, he continues. So he means even if we think that we are not worthy, we might think we have not prepared by human custom, it is not the tradition of the church. If you were in the church and you were part of hearing scripture and the prayer of receiving the body and blood of Christ, the prayers of forgiveness, you are here forgiven to receive God in body and blood, then he would say that those were not condemned. But those who had the arrogance to think that actually pretending to be pious, and really this is hypocrisy, they were actually then judged for themselves um, discerning when they should receive Holy Communion. For example, I will only do it at Easter, I would only do it at Theophany. And you will see that you, they might think that they get a greater God at Easter and Theophany, when actually it is the same God at every liturgy. There is a little bit more here, and my reading from text is terrible actually. I should have got Philip to read it. I don't really like reading from text, but what I would do is I, I would put this, this material um, on, our, on the Facebook or whatever it is, and then you can read it from there. So my argument has always been the same. I've never changed really in the fact that I, my understanding is that through my birth and through my baptism and through my sacrifice and my giving myself as my talent to the temple, this has all been given to me by God. Sometimes when we help people here in a charitable way, in a monetary way, they always thank me, but I say, I've never given you anything from my bank account. You try to get anything out of my wife's bank account, you'd be lucky. This has all come from the church, from other people. Because the charity of other people is amazing. You are not meant to be congratulated here. You do not want your medals here. You want to be acknowledged in heaven. When you are naked, allow God to reveal all your secrets and those secrets that are charitable and virtuous. We come here and we give something and we want our name on every surface possible so that people can see what we have given and what we have done. If you are glorified and, and worshipped here by man, God has nothing to say because it has been revealed. What is secret, then God will reveal. And hopefully the things that we might not understand and we would not have actually expected God to say that we did this and then we will be shocked. So for this reason you will see that if we do not come, as Philip said at the beginning, to hear scripture within the structure of the church, which is the orders that I have to receive as a soldier of Christ. In other words, what is my focus this week? What am I focusing on? What did the church tell me? What did the scriptures tell me? Then really, it is not then just mere morals and ethics. It is a truth. It is something I have to do. As C.S. Lewis says in this book when he talks about faith, he says, if you are scandalized by the word faith, then you are not ready to read about it. Because we have to do it. I don't know why we think we have a choice, really. 
As I said, everything is given to us by God. He even said to this to his apostles. So we could see that really having this beautiful sacrifice of God and his resurrection to leave behind his church, his bride, where he is a bridegroom of and he has the responsibility and duty of care of all those in the world, then we have really no excuses. So what we need to focus then on Christian in as a Christian, maybe as a people of a church, as a congregation, is really that the person that we are judging, we cannot judge their humanness. We have to judge maybe we will support them and focus on the things that are changing their identity. In relationships, we seem to kind of harbour harsh feelings against each other, when really that is someone that does not want us to exist in love. And this could be friendship, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, but it, it means that really we should realise that if someone is sneezing, we would just say they are unwell. And we focus on their illness by giving them vitamin C or making them a soup or a hot drink with lemon, ginger and honey. Um, and you will see that we give them things that we know that will get them better so that they can be themselves because they're in a little bit of pain. Well, we have to do the same when people spiritually seem in pain. We cannot judge the person. We support and we try to help them with what actually has encompassed them what is changing them and it could be us we could be scandalizing our other brother and we have to be very careful that we have this as a responsibility god will say to us people around you were the way because the way they were because of how you was the world changed because of how christ was and and the world just changed in a beautiful way um, it's a wonderful thing. We discussed it today when someone came for confession that you come to spiritual fathers and you don't really listen to what they say, honestly. You might think you do, but you don't really trust them. You don't really do what they do in this kind of obedient way of trust to say that he really he is doing, he's thinking of me, he has really thought of me. You say he's really busy, he's got a lot of people that, you know, he's, he might be saying the same thing to everyone else. These are distractions. You know, we come, we come with no spirit of wanting to better ourselves. We come to try to justify ourselves. And, and it doesn't, it's dysfunctional. And it seems like a waste of time for the person who comes and for the spiritual father. Because I said to them, if Christ came now amongst us, really now, and he, he was speaking to you, you wouldn't notice everything, nothing, like Mary of Magdalene. You would not notice anything, no one around you, no criticism. You would just focus. And if he said to you, come with me, you would even forget that you were married and you had children and you had a job and you had responsibilities. You would just go. And this is the joy that the liturgy gives us. That we really do not say that we're just looking forward to leaving this world. But we know that this world is temporal. But while we are here, as the church has, is here, we have to leave ourselves behind, hopefully as a saint. The church, as these people leave, they don't just disappear, they're still amongst us. And we have them here as intercessors. 
And you can see how rich the church is. Every day it becomes richer, every week, richer, month, richer, every year. We have books that are so old that we can't, they, the, the new saints are not in them. If they had to keep on revising every time a saint became an Orthodox saint was recognized and acknowledged by the world, we would be revising the books on a daily basis. And for this reason, sometimes we, we don't even know and we forget that there is a new saint because we're still talking about saints of up to when that book was printed. So we have books that are printed, say for example, in 1945, for example, but since then, we have had so many Orthodox saints that aren't in the Book of Commemoration. And we have a responsibility, you know, to constantly refresh ourselves and respect each other. So as you can see, we haven't really covered a lot of lessons. And repeating this as the life of the Church is repeated, you can see that we can carry on talking just about these three feasts. So you can see how important they are that they are done annually even though the church does not need them. The church does not need them. We need them. The new generations need them. The generations that are leading the new uh, need them. What's difficult though is when we come together with different cultural human practices that we call tradition. I will call it superstition and we shouldn't live superstition. And we, f and we listen to each other. And this is very wrong, because this is where you will be scandalized. For example, you say to someone that's innocent and receives Holy Communion, and they are baptized, and they are here at every service, you might say to them, have you had confession? Have you done fasting? How comes you have communion every time there's a service? That person might be drawn to God because they have a contrite heart. They might have a heart that actually has seen God because they will see the joy in the salvation of, and the respite that they will receive from this world. Life is made perfect when we leave this world. And that person might think, oh actually I didn't know that. And you might take them off this road and God will then judge you because you misled someone. You have no right to say anything to anyone if you have a different practice and you come from a different tradition. This is not your responsibility. You have to leave that person and hopefully you would, that person will be under a priest. The priest will take the responsibility of every spiritual child they have. It is our burden, it is my responsibility. If anyone will be judged, it will be me. So it is nothing to do with you or the person if they are obedient to my instructions. So you are not here to tell each other what to be doing and not to be doing. You are here actually hopefully focusing yourselves on God's mercy, compassion, love and forgiveness and trying to become the better version of yourselves so that you become useful and not useless so that you will have the courage to coexist and carry on every day because every day is becoming scarier and harder and it is even not going to stop. This will not stop because this is not heaven and we do not expect this to be a place of peace. So you will see that these feasts for us give us this truth. And it is important for us really to take away the arrogance of the self and give ourselves to God. And how do we do that? 
we give back to him the body. And the body is not in death to be decomposed. The body is the body that we can then, he can sanctify. We will, he will clothe us in himself, in righteousness, in a way through holy communion. What a beautiful thing to come and you leave this building full of the Holy Spirit in and communion with God in body and blood. If we really saw this, how much joy people would see on our face and, and how beneficial it would be for us. And even to think that we're struggling for a reason, like C.S. Lewis said, that so many people have done so many great things that this, their life was not a waste of time. So I don't know if there's anything else you think, I've, Philip? I've covered everything. Okay. So what I will do is I will put the, what about the, and these are homilies of St. John Chrysostom. This is not the philosophy or the theology of Father Christodoulos of Battersea. These are all written by the fathers. Everything we discuss is, is from the church. We do not add or take away. What we're trying to do is reveal to you the truth. There is no secrets in the church. There is only great mystery because no one knows God in knowledge in that way at all.